0: Hello and welcome to Asking For It, the podcast that reclaims and reframes that powerful phrase to find out what people are actually asking for. Well, didn't you all love last week's episode? My goodness. Amy Campbell went through the roof thank you so much to everybody who tuned in and all the new listeners who have now subscribed to the pod because of that episode Um, I am so glad that you loved that conversation just as much as I did and I again want to thank Amy for being so open and um sharing of her her experience and her knowledge um if you haven't listened to last week's episode I do highly recommend it um for for many many reasons um but even if you're not in the dance industry or the entertainment industry, Amy is a beautiful example of the the power of integrity. There is such an integrity to everything that she does and she's just an absolute class act. Um, so thank you to everyone who tuned in for that one. Also, what a big week it's been in the news, especially... In Ireland, oh, people of Ireland, I love you. If you have not been following the news, um, just this past week the Irish had a referendum and swept aside one of the most restrictive abortion bans in the developed world in a landslide vote that really does reflect Ireland's emergence now as a socially liberal country no longer obedient to Catholic dictates. You know, now that all the ballots have been counted, it turned, the turnout was at a near historic high and election officials reported just yesterday that 66.4% voted to overturn Ireland's abortion prohibition. Now, if you have missed one of our earlier episodes with the incredible Marine Faruqi, you may not know that abortion is still a criminal act in the state of New South Wales and Queensland here in Australia. So my personal hope is that this pushes that conversation here locally. Um, if you didn't know that or if you're interested in what's been happening in that space in Australia, Check back in the feed and listen to the chat with Maureen Faruqi, who is a Greens State Minister here in Australia, soon to run for the Federal Parliament, who is a very big advocate for women's rights in this case and women's rights to make decisions about their own bodies. Um, so, yay Island! and if you haven't listened to that episode, head on back and have a listen to it. Now, to this episode, oh, I have a guest for you, uh, and I'm really excited that you're going to hear it now. Sarah Mansour, co-founded... Something called the Bankstown Poetry Slam. Have you heard of the Bankstown Poetry Slam? Well, if you haven't, I'm gonna give you a little snippet right now of what it sounds like. Here we go. i
1: dedicated to my grandparents Fouat and Sakai, who I always thought were called Frank and Sue. And, yeah, I never really got why. Because if they can pronounce Shakespeare, if they can pronounce Dostoevsky, Alighieri, Kapka, Tolkien, and They can pronounce your name. If they can pronounce Mozart, Tchaikovsky, Beethoven, and Bach, Picasso, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, and Van Gogh, eating salad and wearing a If they can eat a burrito in a kimono, dance to easy with a bindi, or a foie gras with a side of quinoa, then jump in their Toyota and drive to move Don't want to be late for yoga. If they can learn to make cappuccinos in a shop, they can Write some letters on a cup. If they can try to hiss through our consonants, they can try to hiss through our consonants. If they can wrap their tongue around my kebab, they can wrap their tongue around my vocab. Because I am not your lunch order that you can point at and stumble through, nor ever item that you've appropriated to. This label that was given to me and you is wrapped in history, so get to know it fool. Because if they can pronounce Joffrey, if they can pronounce Arya, Tyrion, Sunset and Daenerys. that
0: they can pronounce your name. Oh, boom, if they can pronounce Shakespeare. I was only going to play a bit of it, but the poem's so good that I didn't want to cut it in half. Um, I'm going to put a link to that poem in the show notes. That's written by a girl called Yasmin, and she does a lot of poems at the Bankstown Poetry Slam, well, according to their YouTube channel anyway. But today's conversation is with the founder, as I said, of the Bankstown Poetry Slam, Sarah Mansour. I'm not going to tell you much more about it because she goes into a lot of of detail, Um, but Sarah founded it with her friend in February 2013 while she was studying law at Western Sydney University. Sarah is now a practicing lawyer and directs the Bankstown Poetry Slam, uh, including hosting the monthly slam, as well as writing and performing her own poetry. And she's really passionate about using art to empower communities. She's an incredibly intelligent, incredibly articulate young woman. I'm so excited to see where she goes in the world from here. The day that we spoke, was one of her last days working in a very big fancy city CBD law firm and she was going to take some time out and find out what she wanted to do next and um, I'm sure that you will agree agree that whatever she decides to do, she will excel in it. She's just one of those people. Um, This conversation covers all sorts of different topics from her faith to her poetry to growing up in Western Sydney to what it's like to wear a hijab and the dumb questions she gets asked all the time Um, and I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, So yeah, Thank you so much for joining us, and here is my conversation with Sarah Mansour. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: No
0: um, let's just get started. So, yeah. um,
2: Sarah, can you tell me, um, what are you asking for? I'm asking to be heard in a really genuine way. I think and that's why I got into spoken word poetry when I was 19 years old uh, because I didn't see positive representation of Arab women and Muslim women in the media and there were always articles about these women and never once would these um, media outlets actually contact any Muslim women for comment mm. and It's just very damaging to young people growing up to not see, you know, themselves in other people, Um, so that's why I really like the idea of spoken word poetry, and it appealed to me because I could speak out to communities that weren't my own, and to connect with them through my art, and to be heard, so that's what I'm asking for.
0: Amazing. Can you tell me, so were you a fan of spoken word poetry before you launched the, the slam or how did you come to it all?
2: Well, I actually came to it through a Facebook video and there is a Palestinian woman who is a spoken word artist. Her name is Rafif Ziadah. And I just happened across her video and she says this line, which she repeats in her poem, um, I am an Arab woman of color, and we come in all shades of anger. And that was just so powerful for me because I saw this, you know, Arab woman, and she was angry, but she was owning her anger. And she, you know, the way that she spoke really resonated with me, and I loved how powerful she was. And I said, "Wow, I want a piece of that." And that's when I actually wrote and performed my first spoken word poem. Um, in November that year, so that was 2012, and I was always someone that was really nervous, um, hated public speaking, my knees would shake, and so you can imagine I'm holding this piece of paper (laughs) and my hand is completely shaking and, you know, I'm like almost stuttering and then I just, you know, belt out this poem, it was like an ode to love and I'm pretty sure, like, I'm, you know, talked about the virtues of Nutella and (laughs) and just kind of, yeah, my parents' relationship... And stuff, because I obviously hadn't been in love. I was like, or well, maybe if I had been in love, I didn't think that it was real love um, back then. So, yeah, so that's um, basically how I came to Spoken Word Poetry. And then I co-founded the Bankstown Poetry Slam in February of the following year, in 2013.
0: So, like, three months later. Yeah. So you did your first poem, and then you, 12 weeks later, you were like, right, I'm going to make this thing. <laughs>
2: Well, it was kind of like after traveling a lot to venues to partake in these or even just to listen to spoken word poetry and having to commute to the city or a new town. Um, Firstly, I was like super poor because I was a student. Yeah. And secondly, I was also a bit really bad driver, and I was like horrified at the amount of red lights I'd had to (laughs) try and evade. Um, And it was just a time thing as well, like, you know, by the time you get there and get back, you're getting back really late. And I remember saying to Ahmad Aradi, who I co founded the Poetry Slam with, um, why aren't there any in Western Sydney? Like, there's none in our area. This is shit. And um, we just kind of said, okay, well, let's contact council and see where we go. And we just started it up in, yeah, just it really happened sporadically.
0: Yeah. And how did it feel at that first, at that first event that you hosted? Was it Did you have expectations for it? What was it like?
2: Um, I remember really, uh, uh, Ahmed and I had a really great, like, kind of plan. And, you know, if we had 30 people there, we would be really happy. Um, we ended up having 80 people there on the first night which was a huge for a poetry slam um, and we had decided that we wanted to make it a free event uh, and the reasoning for that was that we really wanted to make it an accessible event and I mean we've to our guns on that one it's been a free event for five years now mm-hmm. and running so um yeah we just kind of thought it would be really great if we can give people a platform and a lot of people who came were people that were also performing for the first time and then this community just really grew through word of mouth and we didn't have a marketing strategy or anything we had no idea where it was going to go we didn't even think about the following year it was just kind of like hey let's do this and see what happens it's going to be fun and now it's just completely crazy the way that it's grown in an unprecedented fashion and now it's like the largest regular slam in the country and, you know, I've gotten to go overseas for the poetry slam and met the PM and took a selfie with Malcolm Turnbull. This was before (laughs) he went like... (laughs) Um, For those who couldn't see me, I was just doing (laughs) an aeroplane falling crashing (laughs) (laughs) it was cool back then um so so that's basically it yeah amazing and through the
0: process like it's you've built a community as you say you've built Mm. a community around spoken word poetry and do you feel that through the process of the slam that do you feel heard or are you asking for a, a bigger platform now
2: um there are many times where i have felt heard and there are many times where I felt that I was invited to speak at something to tick a diversity box or something like that. Mm. Um, but there are genuine spaces where I've been invited and I felt heard, and it wasn't my community. It was you know maybe like a group of corporates or um, you know a completely different part of Sydney that I'm. Like for example, North Sydney Community Centre. I went there and I spoke and I performed some poetry and it was a, for a Women's Day event, and that was just so lovely. So events like that where, you know, um, it goes beyond having someone at a panel to look different and really goes into the nuts and bolts of why you create and what the purpose is behind it and what your hopes and aspirations are. I feel like that's completely empowering. And, um, you know, my goal and hope is that people use spoken word poetry especially in my community to for you know to do the same things that I'm doing um, and not only to have themselves be heard but to facilitate a space for other people to be heard as well so my biggest joy from the spoken word poetry element of the community work that I do isn't that I get to perform, but rather that I know that people know that they have a safe space to return to every month. They can say whatever they want, and you know, they're completely accepted and they can be vulnerable in front of strangers and still feel like they belong somewhere. And that's the thing that I love the most about the Banks and Poetry Slam.
0: That's amazing. And when you, when, you, when, you started, when you set out to create it, was that, was that what you had in mind? Were, you, were there really clear goals that you set when, for this big picture or has it gone beyond what you imagined it would be?
2: It's definitely gone beyond <laughs> what we imagined it would be. Um, I think that's just because we were so young and yeah. <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. We were both uni students at the time and we just thought it would be fun. Um, but the impact didn't really hit me until the second year when someone told me that they were living month to month just to make it to the next poetry slam because it was so important to them to be able to get whatever's in their chest out and to really speak to people and, and have them clicking and supporting, mm-hmm. he, he said to me that that was the most important thing to him. And that's when it really hit me how important it was to other people as well. Um, so with that in mind, you know, we've tried to grow the slam We've tried to provide a lot of um, professional development opportunities. Um, Anytime we get inquiries, we try to make sure that young people are getting these opportunities to go and perform and to really build their skill. So, and I mean, my team and I are volunteers, so uh, we do it out of love Mm -hmm. and, you know, we have to keep our day jobs and stuff to make it work, but um, I think the way that it's evolved is indicative of the fact that the community in Bankstown really needed this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. And what, kind of th- what are some of the things that have come out of, out of that community, some of the stories, some of the... Is there, do you see similar themes at the Slam each month or is it different every, every week, what everybody wants to say?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's completely different. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes there will be a focus on love and we'll be like, oh, everyone is, you know, feeling incredibly single or incredibly <laughs> <laughs> loved up this, this evening. Um, sometimes I notice that poets come and they deliver a poem that's in response to a political issue or something that's happened. Hmm. So, you know, um, uh, if there was an issue, like when the expose came out about the Manus and Narrow Islands, hmm. Um, and all the refugees that were suffering, you know, there was a really strong response from the poets in in our community. Um, Also with the war in um, Syria, Mm. you know, if things get inflamed, you'll hear people responding to that as well. Mm. Um, And then sometimes there'll be just someone that randomly comes and talks about Tinder or, (laughs) you know, um, like just tries to... Touch on things like um, cultural appropriation or intersectional feminism or whatever it is, you know. And and people are so multifaceted and diverse, and so the poetry really reflects that as well. Yeah,
0: incredible. Can you talk us talk through the the, the listeners what how the night kind of flows and how it all works? If if they're, if they're going to come along, what what's going to happen?
2: Okay, so you park your car, you come down. <laughs> <laughs> there's really great street park otherwise you can catch the train and you can come down um you will come to the door and be greeted by a very hopeful person holding a donation box slot your money in you get take a seat if you want to perform you have to come a little bit earlier 15 minutes earlier and put your name down um and then i introduce how the night works um and then i throw five chocolates at five random audience (laughs) members and that's how we um choose the event the duchess for the evening um, and i just say you know it's divine providence it's not me choosing you it's you know a higher power so catch these chocolates and own them and so the judges take the jobs very seriously which is great because i get to mock them <laughs> um and in the first half of the evening we have the slammers so um 15 of those who sign their names up normally we get more so we have to keep a cap so we can run on schedule mm-hmm. so 15 of the performers um will go for the first half of the evening and they get scored from zero to 10 zero being well, it's a bit of work you know Made me dumber. <laughs> or ten, being like, I'm going to find you on Facebook. I'm going to add you. We were going to have babies. <laughs> so <laughs> I try to encourage people to to not give zeros or tens. Right. Some something in between. Um, and then we have a break, and during the break, we collect the scores. In the second half of the evening, we have a feature poet. Um, so someone that's really seasoned, maybe someone that's um, a really up and coming poet in Australia or someone from overseas
0: yeah you've had some amazing um, yeah, guests I've seen yeah can you tell yeah. us some of the guests that you've
2: had yeah well we've had like Rupi Kaur I got is...
0: very excited when I <laughs> saw that she'd been <laughs>
2: absolutely amazing um, for our Grand Slam last year which we had at town hall we had Rudy Francisco yeah wow an amazing amazing artist from the US um, in terms of local artists we've had Luca Lesson yeah. and Omar Musa, Candy yeah. Royale um uh, Zainab Sayed yeah, from Perth. So I mean, all these people are just absolutely amazing, amazing artists and storytellers. Um, and then we basically announced the winners um, on the breakers. All well, we were gorgeous watermelon, <laughs> and that just kind of that's really funny because it's our fruit mascot. And when when and I, I started the time we said we wanted to serve something. So we just had watermelon because it was summer and it was cheap. Yeah. And then said, oh, let's keep it as a, as a tradition, not thinking into winter that it's going to be like $20 a kilo or something. It's going to get really expensive. Yeah. But we were like in too deep by that point. So It's <laughs> a commitment to yeah. watermelon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So watermelon's been our official mascot for the past five years. At so. least it wasn't avocado
0: or mango. I know, like, I know. Broke. I
2: know. And... <laughs> And definitely not be owning any properties. Do anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Brilliant. So that's kind of how the night works. And so, is
0: it a couple of hours? How long does it go for?
2: Normally, goes from six forty-five to about nine ten, nine fifteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: what are your hopes for the slam in the future? What do you? What do what you? When you look, for, you
2: know, another mm-hmm. five years. Um, yeah. I mean, I. Obviously, firstly, I'd really love for it to still be going and Mm -hmm. to still be going strong. Um, The second thing I would hope is that we get to build on the um, schools program that we run called Real Talk. So last year uh, we ran a spoken word workshop that runs for five weeks with 10 high schools, mostly in Western Sydney. Uh, We had a mentor go out and deliver the program and they kind of go through some pretty topical issues with students and then they get to write about them. And, you know, the poetry that came out at the finale last year was absolutely amazing. And it just shows how, um, how informed these young people are. I mean, I look back at when I was 15 and, um, like, my most important thing was, like, having a nice Bebo profile. Like, I had no idea what was going on around me, you know. And these kids are just so smart mm. and they have so much to say. So that's, I think, what my goal is to really build on that program and expand it so that more young people can feel like they can at least write about not necessarily perform but at least write about what they're going through yeah do you see in. a
0: difference between like the slams that you used to go to when you mm. used to drive through all the red lights to get to yeah. newtown or somewhere else you know on the other side of sydney yeah. do you see a difference between the stories that are being told in each places do they have unique stories in each one do you think
2: i think so more different yeah. vibes Different vibes, definitely. Yeah. Different stories as well, to a certain extent. I mean, the experiences of myself growing up in Punjabi, being Muslim, Lebanese background is completely different to someone that, you know, grew up in Bondi and mm-hmm. is Anglo and mm. you know um, went to a private school, for example. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that's not to say that their art is any less important, but it's just different. Yeah. And, you know, they might use spoken word poetry to. Um, explore, like, a comedic element of life and to really dissect it that way, whereas I take it so seriously that Mm -hmm. I don't think I could ever do a funny poem because it's just, like, so deep and important to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So definitely different vibes, different stories. Um, I I find that the ones in Western Sydney, there's another one in Granville, which used to be um, held in Parramatta, you know, quite similar to Bankstown, but still different. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that just comes down to like the little community that we've built because there's people that have been coming every month for years wow. and you know we're like really close friends and we hang out now outside of the slam and so yeah it's just become our own little family yeah yeah do
0: you think that poetry is having a renaissance now like through you know through through artists you know like the instagram kind of poets like that do. you see and ripping yeah. in those guys do you think it's having like a, a, another wave
2: yeah i think so i think that we were made to study poetry in high school, that was maybe a little bit boring for us. Well it was by probably dead white guys. Yeah. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's stuff that we couldn't identify with. Yeah. And now there are young people like Ruby Kaur and um, um Tyler Gregson, yeah. I think. Yeah. And you know, all these people who are writing and even Bo Taplin. From Urban, Bo Taplin yeah, yeah. Um people who are writing in a way that is so relatable especially to young people but really to all people it, it canvases like it traverses that that you know generational gap mm-hmm. um like my uh, I was tutoring a boy and his mom was like in love with Bo Taplin and mm-hmm. had all his books and stuff which I thought was really cute um but you know I think that having these people who are writing and putting their poetry out and making it really accessible and You know, there's this function of sharing and, you know, you can repost something and without saying a word, people might know either what you're passionate about, what you're going through or, you know, something that is something that, you know, appealed to you and it appeals to you for a certain reason. And um, I think that's really cool. And I think that um, also the function of having it on YouTube. And people being able to actually watch performances is really cool. So I think the Renaissance is just happening happening because of technology. I think so too, yeah. It's just making us so interconnected. Like I can jump on right now and look at someone that's in the US, you know, performing about something that they're, what's happening. For example, the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And I can identify with that. And that's cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was telling Sarah before uh, we hit record that I spent several hours this morning going down (laughs) to Bankstown Poetry Slam YouTube Vortex, and I highly recommend it. it. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's move on to the second part of Mm. our chat, which is um, uh, myth busters. So is there a myth about anything Mm. in your world, be it how people see you or how people hear you or the slam or poetry or anything? Is there a myth that you want to bust?
2: Yeah, so I wear the hijab. So, uh, people don't understand anything about the hijab at all. Most people, not all people, but um, I suppose the myths that I like to bust about the hijab are, number one, no, we don't sleep in it. (laughs) Number two, we we don't shower in it. These are questions that I've been asked. Um, uh, We can take it off in front of all women, so... Basically, I could whip it off right now and you can see my locks. (laughs) I'm going to do that because I don't want to distract you from
0: this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be amazing. It'd be a great visual that no one would be able to ignore.
2: And you can take it off in front of men in your life that you can't marry. So your dad, Mm -hmm. your father in law, your grandfather, your uncles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Black biological family, male family members that you can't marry. So, and brothers. I, think I didn't yeah. say about this. Yeah. <laughs> brothers obviously yeah so um those are the three things that most people don't know and also um i feel incredibly empowered by the hijab mm. and i think that's something that's really important to note because you know there's this like picture that's painted of muslim women in the hijab as like really oppressed and probably forced to wear it by someone in their lives and Um, like sweaty like yeah we are sweaty but you know it does get hot wearing it and wearing long sleeve and stuff but beyond that I love it because um, I feel that I'm able to show what parts of my body that I want and I'm able to be judged on that Mm -hmm. basis Um, so and, and I completely support people who want to wear whatever they want to wear I don't think there's an issue with that. And the Qur'an he- doesn't explicitly say that you have to cover your head and wear long-sleeve. So there's different variations of the hijab in different cultures. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in Africa they wear a turban and short sleeves. Um, similar thing in Indonesia. In Ir- Iran they wear, like, a really long, um, like, dress and, and, like, a thing that kind of hangs over and some of them cover their faces. So it's com- completely different across different mm-hmm. cultures all over the world, Um, but I just really like it, because um, I don't feel that I'm being objectified by men, Mm -hmm. because I can't see anything, Mm -hmm. and maybe they can imagine it, but they can't see my boobies, and, (laughs) and I just think that's cool, that's just me, and you know, other people might completely disagree, but I don't care, because I'm on this podcast now, so I get to have my two cents that is it that is it I look I think it's
0: it's this whole concept of the male gaze and dressing for the male gaze and and all of that you know I, I, I get what you're saying and I think you I, I have seen in my YouTube vortex <laughs> um the way that you articulate exactly those thoughts through your poetry and yeah. I think it's so powerful and so it's really you You, I, I. when I watched the video I thought to myself "Wow, like, she's really standing in her power and her voice and saying what she wants to say and I thank thought you. it was remarkable thank, thank you for the poetry <laughs> any other myths that you want to bust you don't have to it's fine
2: um <laughs> Well, I don't think it's a myth, but I just recently got married and no one told me, thank you, And no one told me that boys are really messy. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who haven't lived with a boy before and are thinking of it, just be warned that it's really emotionally taxing. Yes. And like the laundry basket is right there. <laughs> and this is universal. Everyone I've been speaking to i just like, you poor darling, you didn't know. And I'm like, no, I didn't. No, no one told me.
0: Oh. Yeah. Is he, have you told him that he needs to clean up?
2: Every day. <laughs> he just is like the most resilient person I've ever met. <laughs> it's like he just drowns me out.
0: <laughs> thats That might be my favourite myth so far, actually. <laughs> it's a bust.
2: <laughs> Honestly, um, just people need to know it needs to be out there. Boys are messy. Your boys are messy as. <laughs> and they even acknowledge it. They don't care. Yeah, I was speaking to a co-worker in the elevator and he said, oh... It's taken me 20 years, but I think I'm on top of it now. And I said, okay, so there is hope. (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) It might take two decades. It's fantastic. Um, Okay, so the final
0: question that I always ask everybody, so these episodes go out on a Wednesday. So uh, I make it Women Crush Wednesday. And is there another brilliant female that you want to celebrate that you could give a shout-out to, that you say this person's doing some great stuff?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought about this one a lot. Because there are just so many amazing women out there that are doing really cool things. But I'd like to celebrate uh, Sarah Saleh. She is someone that is most often confused with me. Because we both have the same spelling of our first names and we both wear the hijab. Even though we look completely different and unlike, we are often confused. But I know Sarah on a really personal level. So I know her private as well as her public life. And she's someone that I think is incredibly smart and hardworking and completely pours herself into the community. And like recently she was in Jordan working um, with refugees on policy and, you know, she's just come back and now she's doing her Juris Doctor and she's working at um, a not-for-profit And before that, she was at Amnesty International. And so she's really, really into refugee work and um, human rights and advocating for equality. Um, And sometimes that comes at a cost. And, you know, she's been bullied online and Mm. she's had to deal with some really horrible trolls and stuff. But I think she keeps the bigger picture in mind. Um, And she's just a really, really incredibly inspiring person that I get to be friends with. And um, she also shares my love for Nutella and other things, which <laughs> makes it really easy for us to bond. Um, yeah, so that's the person that I'd love to crush on today.
0: That's a beautiful shout out. Um, Thank
2: you.
0: That's it. We've reached right. the end. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast no today.
2: Worries. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh, what a brilliant, brilliant young woman. Oh, it was such a pleasure to meet her. I'd never met Sarah before. We just, um, I sent her an email out of the blue, like via the Bankstown Poetry Slam website, and she got back to me and said yes, and we met at the State Library of New South Wales and I booked a little room down there where it was quiet and we sat and had that conversation. Um, so I want to thank you sarah so much for for coming on the pod i really appreciate it if you want to know more about the bankstown poetry slam you can go to facebook bankstown poetry slam twitter bankstown slam instagram bankstown poetry slam or their youtube channel dedicate some time to that one please Uh, and that is bankstown poetry slam Um, or why don't you just go to the bankstown poetry slam if you're in sydney uh you can go out and see it they also do special pop-up events they were just a part of the sydney writers festival you can check them out at various different events around Sydney. Just head to their website for more information. They give out watermelon and free chocolates. Also, brilliant storytelling. What more could you want? If you enjoy this conversation, let them know. Hit them up on the Bankstown Poetry Slam social channels and say hello. And let me know. You can contact us via Twitter, Facebook and Instagram on at AskingForItPod. And as ever, my weekly request to you all, my darling listeners, please review, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find us that way. Thank you so much for dedicating some time to listen to this conversation. I am so chuffed that so many of you are joining us each week. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege. Whatever you choose to do this week, I hope it's a wonderful one and I look forward to speaking to you in seven days' time.